1: Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. I'm Liv, and I am quite enjoying picking female-centric stories for the Women's History Month mini-myths. And in this case, this story has been requested by a couple of you now, so here you are, nerds. With this, I give you something a little different. A story not of all Greek deities, and not even of all Roman deities, but one told to us by a Roman, my beloved Ovid, featuring the Gods of Egypt. Mini Myth When a Girl Loves a Girl, Ovid's Iphis and Ianthe. In Phaestus, a town near Knossos, the capital city of Crete, a man named Lygdus and his wife Telethusa are expecting their first child. They're not a fancy family, they're simple, with just a small plot of land. They're your everyday people. But Lygdis, much like Atalanta's father, is hell-bent on having a son. And just as I mentioned in Atalanta's episode, sons are always very much sought after. Women are just, well, they're considered far less useful. This is obviously bullshit, but such is life in ancient Greece. Ligdis is so keen to have a son that he lays it out quite bluntly to his wife. She's pretty far along in her pregnancy at this point, but there isn't an ultrasound in sight, and so people have no idea what their baby will be. Ligdis tells his wife he wishes for two things, that she won't be in too much pain, which is nice of him, and that she'll have a son, which is less helpful as the woman has zero control over the sex of the baby. Lygdus, again, has much in common with Atalanta's father, and he doesn't stop there. He tells his wife that they can't afford a daughter, which seems absurd, and so while he hopes she doesn't have one, if she does, they're going to have to kill her. Ovid tells us Lygdus is sad over this decision, though I would have told him that there's an easy solution. Don't provide such a stupid ultimatum. And of course, Telethusa is very distraught, But as a woman in this society, she simply has no say in the matter. She begs him not to make this call, but Legdis does it anyway. They'll have to kill the child if she's a girl. Finally, the time has come. Telethusa goes into labor, and she's just dreading the whole ordeal. Not because of the pain, that she's prepared for, she's a woman after all. No, she's dreading the possibility that she'll have a daughter, and so, in the end, she'll have no child at all. Just before she's about to have the baby, though, a goddess appears before her. It's Isis. Crete, as you may know, is a Greek island, but it's closer to Egypt than it is to Greece, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that there would be interactions with that pantheon of gods. There was also some crossover, whether it was gods and goddesses that were considered to be part of both pantheons, though with different names, or Egyptian goddesses worshipped in parts of Greece. Isis is one of these, an Egyptian goddess who transcends location. The gods of Egypt don't have quite as clear roles as those of the Greeks. Isis is a goddess of many things, and she's one of the most important goddesses in that mythology. She's wife of Osiris, mother of Horus, she's a mother goddess, a queen. Isis appears to Telethusa as she lies in labor, and she's not alone. She's brought with her so many of Egypt's most powerful gods. Anubis, the jackal, is there. Bubastis, who's most famously known as Bast, the cat or lion goddess. Apis, the bull god. Horus, and even Osiris himself. She's truly being attended to by the best of the best of the Egyptian gods. But... It's only Isis who speaks to Telethusa. She tells her that the goddess is here to tell her she doesn't need to listen to her husband. Isis is there to provide comfort to Telethusa, who has worshipped her so very faithfully. And with that, Isis and the other gods disappear, leaving Telethusa to give birth to her child. Having just experienced Isis telling her not to worry, that her child doesn't have to die, Telethusa is filled with relief. She's now more than ready to give birth. And she does. Her daughter is born. And with that, Telethusa puts her plan into action. She and the nurse, the only other person to know that the child is a girl, will simply lie. They'll tell everyone that Telethusa has given birth to a boy, and most importantly, that's what they'll tell her husband, Lektus. Lingdis is thrilled, relieved, and utterly thrilled that his wife has given birth to a boy. He thanks the gods, and he and Telethusa name the baby after Lygdus's father, Iphis. Telethusa is more than happy to name the baby Iphis, because it's a name that could be used for a boy or a girl. Apparently. <laughs> With the name Iphis, Telethusa doesn't feel like she's lying quite so much. It makes her feel better. But the deception continues as the child grows, but, we're told, whether they were assigned to a boy or a girl, the child is handsome. And so, the child grows, and just like that, they were thirteen. At thirteen, which it seems we're to believe is definitely not too young, Iphis's father finds a girl for them to marry. The girl's name is Ianthe. Ianthe is the most beautiful in all of Phaestus, the most talked about for her perfection, Ovid tells us Iphis and Ianthe are equal in their beauty and trained by the same tutors. They learned everything they knew together and have been together for a long time, long before it was decided they would marry. This is an arranged marriage that, for once, is quite welcome. The two are very much in love, they've been best friends their whole childhoods, they've grown very close, and they're truly devoted to one another. But One of them is excited to be married, and the other one is very, very troubled. Hey nerds, this episode is brought to you by Care Of you remember care of they're the monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamins and supplement packs right to your door now i don't know about you guys but winter seems to be finally leaving us out here thank god and with those winter blues coming to an end it's finally time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your healthiest so give yourself an extra boost this beautiful spring season Whether you're looking for more energy, better sleep, to maintain your stress levels, or something else, Care Of can help you feel your healthiest. Care Of's fun online quiz lets you know exactly what you need. It asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices. It only takes five minutes to find your personal, scientifically-backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. I took the quiz and it was super easy and even fun. There are questions you wouldn't think to ask yourself, but when you get the results, you realize they're really spot on with what you want from your vitamins and supplements. Getting your vitamins should be easy and convenient, so your personalized subscription box is delivered right to your door every month. They're awesome for a busy lifestyle like mine. Care Of has vegan and vegetarian supplement options, so no matter your dietary choices or needs, they've got you covered. They've even got these delicious, nutrient-packed quick stick powders that you can add to your monthly delivery for an extra easy boost wherever you need it. And the added bonus with these guys is a portion of every sale goes to the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need with valuable prenatal vitamins. For 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter MythsBaby50. That's 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. 50! Just go to TakeCareOf.com. That's t a k e c a r e o f dot com and enter myths baby fifty. Ianthi is eager to marry the one she loves, the one she believes to be a boy, Iphis. Iphis though knows the truth. She knows that she's a girl that's believed by all others to be a boy. She knows that while she loves Ianthe completely, Ianthe will never be hers. Because of this, it seems, she loves her even more. Ovid says, quote, it's hard to check her tears. If this is horribly depressed, she feels her love is wrong, that the gods should have ended her rather than cause her to live like this. She feels she isn't meant to love another girl, because, she's told, it's not natural. Ugh. Ifis feels it's so unnatural that she loves another girl, that she likens it to other monstrosities that have taken place on Crete. She feels her love for Ianthe is just as monstrous as Pasiphae's love for the bull, though she believes even that is less disturbing than her love for Ianthe because she thinks at least Pasiphae loved a male bull, not a cow. God, it's heartbreaking just reading this. You should all read Ovid's telling, too. It's just beautiful, and it's not in the slightest bit morally judgmental. It just tells what Iphis feels. Iphis longs to change herself. She theorizes that even if Daedalus himself were to return to Crete, even he couldn't save her. She was born a girl, and, she tells herself, she must return to what's natural. She must forget about Ianthi, But she can't. She keeps berating herself, considering her situation. Finally, she thinks about how what she wants is what everyone wants, though they don't entirely understand. She wants Ianthi, and her father wants her to want Ianthe. She wants Ianthi, and Ianthi wants her back. It's only nature, she believes, that isn't on her side though she thinks about how the gods have given her everything up until this point, no request has been denied. Why, she asks, are Juno and Hymen, the goddesses of marriage, Juno being Hera in Greek, ready to grace the marriage set to take place that has, quote, no husband, just two brides. Meanwhile, Ianthe is praying to the gods for their wedding to come soon. She’s just so excited to be finally marrying Iphis. But Iphis’s mother, one of the three who knows the truth, is praying for quite the opposite. She's constantly trying to delay to put the wedding off to save Iphis’s secret. Finally, though, there’s nothing more to use as a means of delaying the inevitable, and their wedding is set for the very next day. That night, Telethusa goes to Isis's temple, and she prays. She prays to Isis to solve this, somehow. Isis is the reason Iphis is alive at all, certainly she can help. Telethusa pleads with Isis to take pity and save Iphis once again. As they leave Isis's temple, Iphis walks behind Telethusa, but her stride is a little longer, her features more striking, She's more broad, and her hair is shorter. Iphis is no longer the girl that feared the following day, even though it was all he wanted in the world. Now he's a boy, and Telethusa, who's beyond thrilled, tells her son he no longer has to fear. And so the wedding goes as planned the next day. Venus, Juno, and Hymen all watched with smiles as Iphis marries his love, Ianthi. thank you all for listening. As usual, you're all magnificent. This story is one I'm so happy to tell. And obviously I think we can view it now a little differently than it was then too, because while in the way it's told, it feels forced by the father. I think instead we can consider this a story of a trans youth, or if you prefer to feel a connection to it, as a story of lesbian youth, that's also appropriate. This is a world where two women couldn't be together, not officially, and this is a mythological way of solving the problem that I'm sure so many women and trans people faced back then. The gods solved it, the gods made Iphis the boy he always felt he was, or the gods made Iphis the boy he had to be in order to be with Ianthe, the girl he loved, in a world where there was simply not the possibility of otherwise. Any way you see it, it's a beautiful story about something that so many people faced then and still face now. Anyway, happy Women's History Month. Trans women are women, and you really should all read Ovid. He's fucking beautiful. The story is truly touching and missing any real misogyny in the telling of a story of two women in love. It's awesome. That's not to say all of Ovid is that way, but the translation of this story is. You're all wonderful, I'm Liv, and I love this shit.